Hi, this is Arielle Jack, Student Ministries Director here at New Life Church. Thank you for joining our podcast today. I pray the following presentation encourages, challenges, and inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy the message. I don't know, man. I am so excited to preach this sermon today. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I had a week off last week, um, and getting back in the, on the saddle feels good. But uh, I'm so excited to preach this sermon. And I want to say Happy Father's Day to all the dads. Um, I thank you for all that you do. And the title of this sermon is very important to me because I think we need it. The sermon's title is The Day of Dads. It's come again, my friends, The Day of Dads. It's on the horizon, The Day of Dads. No more. No more, guys, that we're going to settle for mediocrity, the day of dads. I can't, I'm so excited about it. Now, I'm going to start with a negative, and then I'm going to relieve you of it. Did you know that in our country that there is uh, 18.4 million children, one in four, without a biological step or a biological, a step or adoptive father at home. One and four. Okay? Research shows when a child is raised in a father absent home, they are affected in the following ways. Four times greater risk of poverty, more likely to have behavioral problems, two times greater risk of infant mortality. I thought that one was interesting. Wow. More likely to go to prison, more likely to commit crime. Seven, this is a big one, guys. Seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teen. Seven times. More likely to face abuse and neglect. More likely to abuse drugs and alcohol. Two times more likely to suffer obesity. And two times more likely to drop out of school. I think that's interesting. Now take that that reality, and say with me, day of the dad. Say it. What is it? It's the day of the dad. Come on now. Man, we could do this. What did it say? It said biological, adopted, or step. I don't care if you're raising your kid, her kid, or a mix of both. Day of the dad. Come on now. We could do this. The big idea for this uh, sermon is this. In society, there's, they're trying to undermine the importance of dads and men in general. We need to show up and stand up so the world can see that there is nothing toxic about a godly man. That word drives me nuts. There is such a thing as toxic masculinity, but not in here. Better not. No. Come on, we want to be men. That honor God. The catch-22 of, fa- of fatherhood. Our culture has done its best to cast fathers as the worthless, blundering Homer Simpsons of our age. Notice everywhere in our culture, the father is depicted as being a slug, whereas the mother is shown as having it all together despite her bumbling idiot of a husband. Every sitcom, every movie, just how it is. But... 
if a man doesn't fit that stereotype and instead is a proactive leader in his home, they are labeled as exhibiting toxic masculinity. So guys, you're having a hard time winning on this one. I'm just telling you right now. Why? Okay, just, just put your brains on for a second and ask, why would that be? Why do men get it from both sides? I have an inkling it might be because the enemy knows the importance of dads and men. I think he's trying to get them from both sides because he knows that a culture that minimizes godly men and good dads is a culture he can defeat. You follow me? So guys, here we go. Here we go. So what do we do with this catch-22? We do what we're created to do. Honor God and don't give a fig for what the culture says. Right? We honor God. That's what we do. Genesis 1, 27, our key verse for this whole series. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. Verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. What he made, the way he made it, was very good. It's interesting that the Bible says, if you add to the word of God, you make it less than perfect. If you take away from the word of God, you make it less than perfect. I would say it this way. You add to the word of God, you make it not good. His creation gets distorted and tainted. You take away from the word of God, and guess what? It's not so good anymore. The way God made it, it is good. So here's the go. Keep the first things first. Before getting into the, uh, before we get into deeper parts of this sermon, it's important to reiterate what we have kept. That we have to keep our relationships in the proper order. You have that verse in your mind, Genesis chapter 1. You got that in your mind? Our relationship with God has to be first. Hear me, men. First. That's got to be first. Our relationship with our wife has to be Second. Even when the kids come, you hear me? Even when kids come, that relationship has to be the second one on your list. Show your kids that you love your God and are passionate about their mom. This will have a huge impact on your parenting. I want to say right off the bat here, dads, you can do this. You can do it. No matter how old or young you are, no matter how functional or dysfunctional your upbringing was, no matter whether you have made mistakes in your past, I said this before, whether you're Parenting your child, her child, or a combination of both. Whether your kids are young 
and at home or older and out of the house. You don't stop being a parent when they leave the house. Starting today, you can do this. And I want to tell you this today. You can't just, it's not that you can just do it. You can be great at this. You can be great at this. Joshua was the man who was thrust into the leadership position at the death of Moses. Wow, big shoes to fill, right? Talk about, I mean, we were talking about how God is a, you know, he's perfect in all of his ways, and you're like, oh, he's a good father, and if that's what it takes to be a good father, then I'm in trouble, because I ain't perfect in all my ways. We'll get to that later. But Moses was kind of the guy, right? He was the guy. Everybody looked at Moses. He was the leader. He was awesome. And he died, and he said, Joshua said, he became the leader. It's big shoes to fill. Because Moses was that guy, you know, the burning bush, plagues from heaven, sea parting, rock splitting, fire on the mountain, Moses. That's him, those big shoes. I can only imagine how intimidating it must have been for him to have to step into such an important role. Today we're going to take some moments from the life of Joshua to help us better understand what it looks like to lead well. Joshua 1.5 says this, I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I will never leave, I will never abandon you. Isn't that encouraging? Dads, he's going to be with you. The job is big. But your father will help you father. God calls us to lead. Where God calls us to lead, he will be with you to equip you to lead well. You are called to lead, dads. I don't care what the culture says. You are called to lead. And if you follow these four steps, it'll help you. Ready? I broke it down to four steps because dads like structure, most of us. We like to know when we're going to get in and when we're going to get done. I promise I'll have you home in time to do your barbecue and the, whatever you do. Right? So first one, here we go. Let's not waste any more time. Know your stuff. Write that down, dads. Know your stuff. Know your stuff. Joshua 1.8. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you will be careful to observe everything written in it. Then you will, be prosper. You, will be, you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. How many guys in here would like to prosper and succeed in whatever they do? Ladies, how about you? Would you like to prosper and succeed in whatever you do? Yeah. Well, what does it say? Know your stuff. You got to know your stuff. If you want to do well, you got to know what to do. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching. This isn't, this, does this sound like parenting or what? For teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Dads, moms, isn't this what you want for your kids? that they would be equipped for every good work? I'm going to say it again. you got to know your stuff. Know your stuff. 
You can't teach what you don't know. What fathers are you emulating with your fathering approach? Your earthly father? Because his knowledge was limited. Whether he was a good or a bad guy, his knowledge was limited. Or are you emulating your heavenly father? Right? And you might say, Pastor, you know, that's great for you. I mean, you get paid to study it. So, yeah, great for you. Listen, I understand that you guys are busy. you got a lot going on. I want you to be equipped to be able to, to know your stuff. So I got you all this today, all the fathers. Okay, it's Stand Strong, 365 Devotions for Men by Men. And it's one page. You can't do one page. I mean, I'm really taking away all the excuses. One page a day, guys. Come on now. Just to know your stuff. Now, you might say, Pastor Nets, I study through the Bible every year. I don't need that one page thing. I spend four hours a day. Well, give it to somebody who doesn't. Say, say to your friend who's a dad and says, who, who, who needs to say, hey, I got this book. I don't need it because I know everything. So I think you need this. <laughs> no, I'm serious. If you get this book today and you, and you, and you already have a, a robust devotional life, good for you. I'm happy for you. Give it to somebody else who doesn't. Let's, let's get the word out, huh? Let's know our stuff. We got to know the stuff. Next thing. Do your thing. Know your stuff. Do your thing. Joshua 1 9. I have not, uh, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Do your thing. Don't worry about what culture says your thing is. Worry about what this thing says your thing is. The thing, the Bible, sorry. Um, and do your thing. You can do this. Know why I know you can do this? Because it's your thing. You don't have to do it some other person's way. You can do it your way. You can apply this in the, in, in the way you were made. That's the best way to do it. So often we get bogged down by ways of parenting and stuff like that. Yeah, and those, and those things can be good. But if they're not contextualized, if they're not you, you have to make all that information work for you. Do your thing. Don't be afraid to be a parent. You can do this. Parenting is what your family needs. Your kids don't need another friend. They need a parent. I would love for my kids to someday say, my dad is my best friend. But the only way they're going to get there is if I can parent them now. They need someone to step out and lead by example. Plan your work and work your plan. Don't let, uh, don't, don't let great, I like this one, don't let gr uh, great be the enemy of good. Well, I'm not ever going to be a great father, so I'm going golfing. Just be, just be there. Be a good dad. You don't have to be the world, you know, the, number one dad or the world's greatest dad. You don't have to be that guy. I would like a shirt that said, it's a good dad. 
pretty good guy. He's there. He shows up. He loves me, period. I don't have to be the world's greatest dad. I just want to be a good dad. You don't have to be perfect. You just need to be involved. Don't forget, God is with you wherever you go. That's important to know. You don't have to be perfect because he is, and he'll help you. He'll be with you. Um, Listen to this article. Why being a great, uh, excuse me, why being a good enough parent is better than being perfect by Catherine Perlman, Ph.D. Here we go. The vast majority of American parents aspire for their children to grow up, to be healthy, happy, and productive members of society. To meet those goals, parents are told that all must be sacrificed. If we don't give parenting everything we've got, our kids will wind up unemployed, living in our basement, and there'll be no one to blame but ourselves. That's what I like to call the perfect parent myth. And it's ruining our child-rearing experience. The late renowned pediatrician and psychoanalyst Donald Winnicott uh, Winnicott viewed parenting in great contrast to those high um, achieving ideals. Through Winnicott's eyes, perfect parenting wasn't merely unattainable, it wasn't desirable. As a child, as children grow, they are better off with a good enough parent, one who offers the space to forge ahead with increasing independence. Our efforts to meet every single want and desire of our children can hurt them in the end because they fail to understand that real life is full of disappointments and struggles. Learning at an early age to press on through adversity builds strength. A good enough parent still meets the needs of their children, but by the parent being less than perfect, the child will need to adapt and develop skills to conquer little disappointments. So, how can a parent be merely good enough? <laughs> you didn't expect to come to Father's Day and hear a pastor say, preach a sermon on just being good enough, right? Just, just be good enough. But it's important. Here are four ways to make sure you aren't trying to be perfect. Now, guys, let me just put a pause there. You need to help your wives with this one. This is, a, this is where guys are going to really step in. Because... Oftentimes, it's, it's our wives and our, the mothers of our children who are very, very influenced by things that are happening around them. They, 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 they want to be so, you need to tell your wife, honey, it's good enough. You don't, you don't have to be like everybody, everybody else on Pinterest. It's, it's, men, men we've got to help our, our wives with this thing as well because there's a lot of pressures out there. So number one, don't worry so much about what other parents are saying or doing. Do what's right for your family. It will be good enough. And this is a huge one. I'm going to tell you why, guys. Because a lot of what families are doing, they think they're doing good things, but they're not following the guidebook. So therefore, they're doing all this stuff, and our ways are going to to move differently than theirs. I'm just going to probably, I'm just going to throw it out here, and I hate to spoil all your students' dreams they probably will not play for professional sports. The odds are against them. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, probably not. So sacrificing every waking moment of your life 
to get them to nine different Little League programs and, and, and lessons and things like that is probably going to drive your family crazy and diminish the joy of parenting, whereas maybe putting them in one so that they enjoy athletics would be good enough. Except if it's on Sunday, then don't do it. No. Uh, you see what I'm saying? We've got to be careful. But other parents are doing this, and if I don't do it, then my kid will fall behind. Oh, my gosh. Number two, cut yourself a break. A Domino's pizza and movie night every once in a while ain't going to kill them. You could do a date night with your wife without having to get a babysitter. Did you know that? It's called Disney Plus. You get a pizza, you put a movie on, and you and your wife go somewhere else and talk or watch another movie or make out. You know what I'm saying? So nothing wrong with that, guys. It's okay. You know what I'm saying? But date night, he's like, ew. He's like, <laughs> know what I'm saying? You could, hey, cut yourself some slack. They'll deliver the pizza to your house even. You got to cut yourself some slack. You're going to get it all, you're not going to get it all right all the time. You're going to make mistakes. Number three, cut your children a break too. They aren't perfect either. Trying to hold them to that standard will do more damage than good. Number four, let your children know that you're not perfect. Well, they already know it. But it's a relief to them when they know you know it. Which brings us to our third action point today. Number three, suck it up. Guys know what that means. Guys understand that's a sports term, suck it up. Well, I had a coach back in the day when coaches were allowed to be a little meaner. And uh, I went up for a layup. We were playing, a, playing basketball on a concrete gym floor. And I went up for a fast break layup. And the opposing team member cut my legs out in front of me. And I was young and spry. And I could jump then. I wasn't fat, and I was up, I was higher than the rim, obviously. I mean, I was shooting down. I thought I was up there. I was probably like, eh. you know, if I, in your head, it's like, oh, man, if they just had a highlight reel. But this guy took my legs out, and I went down on my back from 20 feet up. I'm telling you, it was a big deal. And then my head went, poof. And it sounded like, you know, watermelon getting hit by a, a hammer. You know how they do all the concussion stuff today? And they put you in, you know, in the football club, they put you in a little special tent, the concussion tent. I probably needed a concussion tent like 90 times when I was a kid. So I, I'm, poof. My head feels like it, you know, I'm like, uh, and I go over, the, I go over the, the, the sideline and my coach is like, look at my eyes. How many fingers are holding up? Two. You're right. Suck it up. Shot my free throws, finished the game. I think I didn't hit the 
rim. But I was in the game. Suck it up. Joshua 7.10. This is right after Joshua and the Israelite army went after Ai. Right after Jericho. They had this huge victory over Jericho, which they didn't do anything. God did all victory. And they had this huge victory. They went up against this next city, and they got whooped. They got it handed to them. And Joshua's having a, a pity party. And then the Lord said to Joshua, get up. You like the expert? Get up. Why have you fallen in your face? Israel has sinned. Suck it up. What does it say at 16? Joshua got up early the next morning. One of my favorite lines in the Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight Batman series is when Bruce Wayne is asked, why do we fall? Bruce Wayne is asked, why do we fall? And the answer is, so that we can learn to get back up. Now, that's kind of a cheesy movie line. It's not so profound of a statement. But what I think is profound about it is that his dad said it to him when he was a kid. And later on, it was used to get him to stay in the fight. Sometimes we just got to learn to suck it up. Dads, kids need to see what it looks like to deal with disappointment, failure, and mistakes. And the best example of what it looks like to be disappointed and a failure and make mistakes is their dad. <laughs> it's okay. I want to show you something. I told you on Mother's Day that I'd finally show you this card. Garfield says, I love you this much. Now, the other day, my mom gave me a big box of stuff that I had in my room for many years. And I kept this, apparently. I didn't remember it. But when I opened it, I remembered it. This was from my dad. And it said, I love you this much. Now, I started to put the pieces together. And um, I'll tell you about it in a second. But it says, actually, it's much more. But my arms weren't, wouldn't stretch any further. <laughs> you got to love Garfield. It's not the most creative card in the world. But this is what it says. David, sorry I got so upset last night. You don't deserve it. You're a great son. I love you. Heart, Dad. So this is what happened. I put it, this is what had to have happened. We got into it one night. I don't know how old I was. There's no, what was it, 1978? That's a copyright. That's the year I was born. He was really tough. There's no date on it. Uh, sorry, you're a good little baby. <laughs> no. Uh, so this is probably what happened. And it, it I can tell you this with pretty much confidence because it didn't happen just once. But um, we got into it. I was being a jerk, and he, over, he overreacted. I went to bed, and he couldn't sleep because he was thinking about what he had done that was inappropriate on his side. So I could picture my dad getting out of bed, driving to Stop and Shop. This was probably the only card they had. Buying a card. And I guarantee I got this in my lunchbox the next day. 
when I opened it at school. Because he made our lunches. He said, what does this say to me? I was wrong, and I know it, and I'm sucking it up. You don't deserve it. You're a good kid. Let's start over again. Own your stuff. Get up. Get over yourself. You make mistakes. Own it. Let your kids know it. Say, I'm sorry. Tell you love them a lot. In different ways, shapes, and forms. Give them a Garfield card every once in a while. So you messed up. As God told Joshua, get up. Make it right and move forward. What did Joshua do? He did what my dad did. He got up early the next morning. He bought a Garfield card. 1978 was just, you know... He got up, and he took care of it the next morning. Suck it up. Last one. You're going to like this one. Mark your territory. (laughs) Mark your territory. (laughs) Joshua 24, 15. And if it seem evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Mark territory. Rather than retaining territory simply by fighting, many animals create signposts to advertise their territory. You've seen this if you have a dog or a cat. And I'm implying that dad should go peeing outside in their yard. Okay? If you do that, that's your business. But I, it's not coming from this pulpit. I mean, some, some people have things. I don't know. But, but other animals, <laughs> several species, such as the American black bear, which is my favorite animal, by the way. My kids will ask me, what's your favorite animal, dad? The American black bear, hands down. Coolest looking, awesome animal in the world. What they do is they scratch or claw trees, leaving a a visual mark of their territory. Like, and this is what it means. May it be done to you like it has been done to this tree if you come in my territory. That's why when my daughters bring home their first date, I will be cleaning my gun. May it be done to you. you know, no, I, I mean, well, maybe, actually. They mark their territory. This is all about setting good, reasonable, age-appropriate boundaries. We talked about this when we talked about Mother's Day, because it's so important. I'm going to reiterate it. Boundaries for your kids to see, they need to know it. They need to see it. And for the world to see. They need to see it. And they need to know it. First, there is nothing more frustrating to a child, especially a teen, than having a boundary or expectation enforced that has not been clearly defined. 
I'm not saying it's not going to happen. Surprises come, and you're like, I didn't even know I needed that boundary. There's a boundary. And you tell your kids, suck it up. But better is to be proactive with your boundaries. This is what the boundary is. Before you even get there, you know where mom and dad stand on this stuff. That means, dads, you have to talk. Grunts won't do it. What have your mom said? Talk to your kids. It shows them you care when you deal with the issues that they're dealing with. Even if, it's, even if they don't like what your boundaries are, at least they're, dad's involved. I can push against that, but they'll know where you stand. On the other hand, there's nothing more reassuring and cathartic for a child than to have a clearly stated boundary or expectation enforced when it is violated. It is amazing what will happen after discipline. When a boundary or expectation is violated by a a child and you enforce that boundary, you will notice, if if you keep your eyes open, you will notice that they will be more attentive and affectionate after the punishment than before. Now that fades a little bit in the teenage years. You might get silence. But for especially for young children, they, I tell you what, after my kids have been punished, they want to cuddle me. That's weird. You would think that they would want to get away from me. They don't. They want, they want that reassurance that they, they still are loved and cared for, and they're like, yeah, okay, dad's, dad's with me. Dad's on my side. He, I understand that he has boundaries, but he loves me unconditionally. It's cathartic for them. It, makes it, it cleanses them. And it gives them a proper perspective on how life works. They need that. They need those boundaries. They need those expectations. And they need clear, uh, clear statements of truth. And you need to follow through on them. There's nothing more confusing to a child than you say, this is a boundary, and when they cross it, you do nothing. Well, is it a boundary or isn't it a boundary? It is also important that you and your wife develop these signposts together. Make sure your wife is on the same page when you're marking your territory. Okay, I'm not going to get gross, but you know what I'm saying. Make sure you're marking the same territory. Make sure you're together on this. You're parenting together. Any dad with assault is going to know that kids love to play parents against one another. If you're not on the same page, you will send mixed message and confusing messages. Okay, secondly, you must define your family. Excuse me, this is wrong. You must defend your family from the enemy that is doing its best to destroy you. First of all, it's mark your territory internally so your kids can see it, good boundaries. Secondly, you got to defend your family, man. Not knowing what's out there is not good enough. You got to know your stuff. You got to know this stuff, and you got to know what's out there too. There need to be Territory markers. As for me and my house, 
declarations. Defend against the cultural influences that Pastor Ariel and John talked about last week. That was a great discussion last week on what is coming against the family. You got to defend against that. You got to really do it, guys. It's not a joke, it's real. The enemy has come to kill, to steal, and destroy, and he's got a target on your family. Know it. Build boundaries around screen usage. Talk as a family about cultural issues that conflict with biblical standards. Try this, dads. Ready? Create a family creed of non-negotiables. I'll give you an example. Sanksters don't lie. It's non-negotiable. We don't do that. Sanksters don't use bad language. It's non-negotiable. We don't do that. Sanksters are committed to church. We're committed. If there's a youth program, guess what? You're youth. You're going. You're going to be involved. And Sanksters have each other's backs. I mean, these are just examples. Like, I want my son to keep an eye out for his sister, sisters. And I want my daughter to be able to have a relationship enough with her, her brother that she can speak up when dad and mom aren't there. I want, I mean, I'm sure you guys feel the same way. Parents, you want, you want your families to be so tight that they have each other's backs. So those are some, those are some examples of family creeds, non-negotiables. What are yours? It's good to write them down. Sit down with your wife some night after you put Disney Plus on and got the kids a pizza. And you made out a little bit. Then do the creed. <laughs> Another thing. Don't just expect, inspect. Don't expect, inspect. Let your kids know that you're going to be involved. My kids say, that's mine. I said, oh, really? Did you pay for that? That's my room. Is it? Is it? Let's just go through the inventory of what is in your room. No, it's not your room. I love, I love it in movies when the, when, the, when the bratty teenage daughter slams the door in the dad's face. Don't come in my room. That were my kid, they would no longer have a door. I'm not even. I'm, I'm not even joking. Well, you, you don't like dressing for the whole house to see. You're gonna have to dress in the bathroom now for a while. I mean, it's not there. No, let your kids know that you're involved. It's important. When they get a job, they start doing. When they get older, you have to change things. I get that, but like, they need to know that you're involved. Hold them to high standards. It's not going to kill them. Hold them to high standards. And then help them to attain them. Right? It's very frustrating when you hold high standards and you just leave them on them. And this is the last thing I want to say about this today. Model your mantras. If you have a mantra or you have a non-negotiable, like, sanctions don't use bad language, and they hear you using bad language. If you say something, do it. Follow through. Do your best to model 
the mantras that you say. And when you fail, because you're going to fail, sanctions don't use bad language. Dad doesn't use that bad language word. Guess what? You're going to fail sometimes? Go buy a Garfield card. It's okay. You're going to fail. It's all right. Suck it up. Make it right. Get back on track. You can do this, Dad. Even if you were, like, terrible at it last week, suck it up. Say, I'm sorry. I was bad. Even if you have a child who's out of the home and you were awful their whole life growing up, and your dad would say, man, I really screwed up with my kids when they were younger. Suck it up. Know your stuff. Do your thing. Say you're sorry. Deal with the fallout of it and get back on track. You can do this. You can do this. Joshua 1.5, and I will be with you. I will never leave you or abandon you. Lord, I thank you for the dads in the room. Thank you for the responsibility and the love and the fact that you've given them that responsibility, but yet you haven't left them alone to carry it out. Lord, wherever you've called us to lead, you've also equipped us by your spirit. So God, I pray for our fathers in here. I pray for the men in this room, that they wouldn't let our culture define them, that they would let the word of God define them. Lord, that they would be amazing husbands and, and fathers and neighbors and men at work. God, that they would uh, know their stuff because they are passionate about what you have to say. That they would do their thing and not worry about what everybody else is doing. Lord, that they would suck it up if it needs to, they need to suck it up. And God, when it comes to their families and the, and the, and the, and the sphere of influence that they get, you've given them, Lord, I pray that they would mark their territory. That they would make non-negotiables. That they would live for you who died for them. God, I thank you for our dads. Bless them. Lord, bless them and keep them. Lord, show them favor. Make your face shine down upon them. And give them peace. In Jesus' name.